Welcome to Cinema Talk, the official podcast of the UW Cinematheque. This is Jim Healy, and I'm the Cinematheque's Director of Programming. The Cinematheque's free online film selection this week is a marvelous Scottish comedy and audience favorite from the early 1980s, Gregory's Girl, written and directed by Bill Forsythe. In Gregory's Girl, the lovable and gawky Gregory, who's played by Gordon John Sinclair, is a teenage boy who develops a serious fixation on Dorothy, the first female member of his school soccer team. Advised and aided by a delightfully quirky group of friends and family, Gregory's pursuit of romance leads him down several surprising and unexpected paths where he learns that you can't always get what you want, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Scottish filmmaker Bill Forsythe's wise, wistful, and very funny youth comedy is populated by a plethora of dreaming, memorable characters, from a musically inclined, pastry-loving headmaster to Gregory's 10-year-old sister, who has learned that the best part of a ginger beer float is the few seconds before you taste it. A significant part of the cast of Gregory's Girl was made up of performers from Glasgow Youth Theatre, many of whom had collaborated with Forsyth already on his debut feature, That Sinking Feeling, in 1979. We are offering a limited number of opportunities to view Gregory's Girl at home for free through June 11th. To get your access to the movie, simply send an email to info at cinema.wisc.edu. That's info at cinema.wisc.edu. And remember to write the word Gregory in the subject header or in the first line of the email. Bill Forsythe is our very special guest on Cinema Talk this week. In 2010, I had the great privilege of organizing the first complete retrospective of Forsythe's eight feature films in North America at the George Eastman House in Rochester, New York. Forsythe's achievements as a Scottish filmmaker are pioneering, to say the least. He started a career in film at age 18 in Glasgow and spent nearly a decade and a half making commissioned documentaries and industrial films. This experience partly explains why his sublime and distinctly personal brand of filmmaking was fully realized when he made his first two narrative features, That Sinking Feeling and Gregory's Girl. The international success of these two movies kicked off a wave of national filmmaking that led to the creation of what would become Screen Scotland, a national agency dedicated to the development and support of Scottish filmmaking. For Forsyth, the personal success paved the way for his next and best-loved movie, 1983's Local Hero, and several films made in the U.S., including his masterful 1987 adaptation of Marilyn Robinson's novel, Housekeeping. It's been more than 20 years since Forsyth completed his last feature, Gregory's Two Girls, a sequel that returned him to filming in Scotland. His body of work reminds us that there's a lot of comfort and joy, to evoke the title of one of his films, a lot of comfort and joy to be derived from life's ordinariness and everyday complications. Some might say there's no room for his subtle, quiet style of storytelling in a world dominated by increasingly bombastic popular culture, but perhaps this is a moment when the gentle world of Gregory's Girl will remind you that we need Bill Forsyth now more than ever. This week, he spoke with us from his home outside of Edinburgh about the making of Gregory's Girl, its influences, and his approach to the art of cinema. Here's our conversation with Bill Forsythe. Bill Forsythe, welcome to Cinema Talk. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Good to be here again. As you know, we're offering Gregory's Girl this week, and... uh, it would be impossible uh, because the production histories and personnel are so intertwined to talk about Gregory's Girl without talking about your first feature, the film you made just the year before in 1979 called That Sinking Feeling. Yeah. And both films are uh, cast with members of the Glasgow Youth Theater. Can you talk about your introduction to them? Uh, yes, um, the Glasgow Youth Theatre. It sounds very kind of official and elevated, but it was, a, it was actually a kind of ad hoc, you know, kind of uh, street level organisation that was run by uh, an American uh, gent called John Baraldi, uh, who um, 
uh, was was just a really enthusiastic theatre man, and uh, he uh, lived and worked in this the East End of Glasgow, which is the kind of the old, you know, poorer part of town. Um, and there was a thing called the Scottish Youth Theatre, so even there was a little irony in just calling his outfit the Glasgow Youth Theatre. It was, a, a, you know, competitive with the Scottish Youth Theatre, which was official and funded and, you know, recruited via workshops and uh, auditions and all that stuff. Whereas in, in, in John's uh, Youth Theatre, you just turned up on a Friday night. Anyone could turn up. Uh, and there were there were kids who unemployed kids and kids who had left school early and all that, and they was that old thing of you know the, the, the those who came to cheer stayed to cheer because there were one or two guys who used to just kind of hang about on a Friday when all the all the kind of theatre kids were going in and they were kind of you know cat call them and things like that and finally John went out and said why don't you come and see what we're doing and these and they ended up in the youth theatre and being terrific actors they were in both both of, both of the films that I made with them um, so so that's the way it was and um, at that time I had been working for probably 10 years or more let me see I joined the film business in 64 and that would be 79 my goodness it was longer it was what was that 14 years 15, 15 my years my goodness um and i thought it was, i thought it was time i made a grown-up movie instead of the the sponsored movies and the industrial movies that we were making um so i just turned up i just got on my bicycle and I went over there one friday just just uh, when when the opening time at half past seven and i turned up and i just said to john you know i'm a local filmmaker uh, i'd like to just hang out and uh, see how what it's like to work with actors and things and uh, so that's what I did uh, and typically me I'm, I'm a bit kind of socially backward I probably still am but um, when I started to go there I just used to kind of ride out there on my bike as I say every every Friday and just sit at the back you know and th this went on for weeks and and John kept saying to me do you want to say hello to the kids do you want to? I said no no it's fine <laughs> So eventually, after about a month or so, John came to me and said, "Look, you have to talk to them. <laughs> they're starting to they're starting to worry about you. <laughs> you know, this guy <laughs> hanging around in the back." And so he he actually said to me, "Look, tonight, no, no, he was very kind. He said, next week you have to just say why you're here and what your plans are and all that, because I'd happily explained it to him." And it's a did terrible you, thing. Sorry. Did you ha did you have the Gregory's Girls script at that point? I, yes, I I well did I I I don't think I'd written it, but I had uh, I had the idea. Yeah. Uh, I, in fact, I, I wrote it the the autumn of the time of the, the basically at the same time that I was working with them. Although I I didn't share any. It wasn't a workshopy thing, you know. I just I just kind of one you know, wrote the script separately. Um. But it was a kind of real kind of breakthrough moment for me because I was so nervous uh, and inhibited in those days. Uh, the idea of just talking to a bunch of kids terrified the life out of me. And I, I remember, I remember to this day, I took the train the, the following Friday and I knew what I had to do. Um, I took the train, which was, uh, you know, about a 20 minute ride across across town. And I was sitting there and I actually got off the train, you know, four stops early. And I thought, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I sat on the platform. Uh, I didn't, I, I was going to cross the track and get the train home, but I just sat there and I said to myself, okay, just think this out, you know. So I thought it out and I thought, well, you you go that way and you, you maybe you can move, make a movie one day. You go that way home and that's it, you know. And so I finally jumped on the, another train heading for the youth theatre and, and kind of bit the bullet and talked to them and things. And um, it wasn't, it, at, at the same time, I was starting to, uh, to have conversations with the BFI in London because they had a production fund. Uh, and I qualified for that, for the fact that I've been in the business for more than 10 years, as I've just discovered. Um, 
so I was toing and froing with them. I was talking to them about the script and you know the ideas for it. And uh, funnily enough, I just looked up what I would. Uh, to refresh my memory, I, I got an old bo diary box out and I was digging through the, the diaries to find out the chronology of this. And it was kind of virtually, you know, you know, simultaneously I was talking to the BFI about production money and I was meeting the kids and all of that stuff. Um, so that's the way we went on. I started to get to know the kids and I was working on the script and... Uh, as I say, I, I don't. Rem I didn't. I didn't do any kind of workshoppy thing with them. It wasn't like I was training to be a director or, or you know a theatre director. Or anything. I just I just hung out with them, uh, and eventually the BFI the uh, in, in this old diary I consulted. I found out that B, the BFI guy had come up from London. I'd forgotten that, uh, and hung out with us one Friday, uh, and then they had asked me for some video. So the first thing that I did was some. Um, did some video readings with the kids and some and some little rehearsals on some of the scenes that were in the script by this time. Um, so we went through this whole process. I think I was asking for £29,000 to make the film on 16mm from the BFI. And they strung me out for maybe four or five months and they had a production meeting um, towards the end of uh, 78 that year. And a uh, typical thing, the guy said that the meeting was on Wednesday. He said, I'll phone you first thing on Thursday. So I'm wound up, as you can imagine. Thursday, the whole day, I'm just sitting by the phone. Nothing happens. Friday, the whole day by the phone. I eventually phoned him, you know, about five o'clock on the Friday. Office is closed. He's gone. So basically... The they called you and they had sunk money into something else, I guess. They had financed another movie. I can't remember the name of it. I wanted to remember the name of it, but I can't. It was a filmmaker called, God almighty, can't even remember his name. He was a critic. Pettit, Chris Pettit. Chris Pettit. You know Chris Pettit? Oh, yeah, and that was uh, uh, like a, uh, a rock a rock film or something, right? That's right. It had Sting in it as far as I know. That's right, yeah. When you, when you heard that, when you got the rejection, you were already... You had a you had a, a much more developed script. You were working with the actors um, yeah, I had, already. I had the, yeah, I had the full script. Mm -hmm. And who was who was there uh, at, at Glasgow? Gordon Sinclair, I, I assume, was there, and Robert Buchanan. Yeah, they were there. Um, all all the all the people who were in that sinking feeling, basically, all all, all the all the boys and girls. Not so many girls, uh, <clears throat> but um, yeah, right, all the should... people. All, all the people in that sinking feeling, Greg is called, were at the youth theatre by the time I got there, yeah. The two the two main girls uh, in Gregory's Girl... Uh, they, they were not youth theatre people because when 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 by the time I, I had made that sinking feeling and then Gregory's Girl was being made, things got down and dirty with real producers and real money and all of that stuff. So there were, there were more... The kind of reasons why I had to, you know, properly cast the girls, especially because the girls were actually quite few in number at the youth theatre. Mm. Um, so there wasn't a huge range. There was maybe four or five or six of them, you know. Um, so yes, by the time by the time we had the money for Gregory's Girl and and the, and, and the producers and things, you know, I had to kind of say bite the bullet and cast the, cast the girls properly. Right. Uh, that's the way it went. That's show business. That's the movie business. Well, you um, you 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 made that sinking feeling, and then you uh, you got you got it screened, uh, played at festivals, and and uh, it 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 allowed you to to make Gregory's Girl properly. You probably would have shot Gregory's Girl for sixteen millimeter on sixteen millimeter and and a much smaller budget. This is a it's incredible to think of because it was the August September that. There was just a moment at, at the Edinburgh Festival. I, I ran the movie, the, that sinking feeling at the Edinburgh Festival. They, they, they couldn't turn, as a local filmmaker, they couldn't turn me down anyway. So that was it. Uh, and it was, it was just one of these things. It was just a kind of complete switch. The movie that I went into the screening one guy, and I came out a different guy because the the. The Edinburgh Festival at that time uh, was a uh, attracted, you know, 
critics and producers and distributors from everywhere, mainly the critics, all the, all the London critics were up there. Uh, and they just watched everything, you know. And, and I remember my movie was on at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Um, and Colin Young, who was my kind of mentor when the, the short time that I spent at the National Film School there, he was he was there, uh, and he had helped me out because I, he he let me dub the he let me do the sound mix at the film school because I'd been briefly a, a student there in the 70s when it opened. Um, so uh, there was a connection, but he was there, and he was a terrific. He was just wonder. He was a terrific audience. He was just. He was unique. He had this, uh, and he responded to the screen, you know, all the time. And um, I don't know if you, if you, you, well, you watched that sinking feeling, saw the credits, uh, the, yeah. the, the credit card comes up, you know, that sinking feeling, and then it sinks off the screen. The, I, I remember shooting these credits uh, with Mick Coulter, who, who shot the film for me. Um, on his wall, we, we, we had the Letraset cards made, and we stuck them to his kitchen wall, with uh, and and filmed them individually just with a normal camera, and it was Mike that said to me, that I think the camera hadn't quite, uh, um, he hadn't tightened up the the tilt thing, and it moved a little bit, and he said, hey, wait a minute, this might be fun, and he said, look what we could do, uh, we can we can do a roll, or we can have this credit, you know, disappear, <laughs> so we shot a couple of them, and that's what we used. Anyway, go back to that screening in the morning, and when the movie started, and the credit disappeared with the bottom of the screen, <laughs> Colin Young roared with a huge laugh, and so that just relaxed everybody. And then it just it just went like a dream from then on. Um, that really set the but, tone for the rest of the screening. Yeah, it was it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, then my question about um, Gregory's Girl then is, since you walked just walked in and met all the actors when you had just a sketch of the film or a treatment or whatever, was it was it some uh, their personalities? I imagine that eventually inspired the characterizations as you as you wrote them down. No, this, this, there's a, there is a dichotomy, and it's, it, it's probably to do with the inhibited state I was in. I didn't really, there wasn't a lot of kind of toing and froing creatively between the kids that I met and, and Gregory's Girl. Gregory's Girl was more or less a kind of confect, a concocted thing of mine, uh, which was which already, so far as I remember, already had its its uh, shape and everything before I went to the youth theatre. Um, and actually, to tell you the truth, it was inspired, it was, say, we just, we just, we were just saying that I'd been in the film business for 14 years by that point. Um, it was time that, that, you know, but that's a long time to be in the, the sponsored film business. And my partner, uh, creative partner then, Charlie Gormley, he, he was a screenwriter and he worked he went back and forth to to Amsterdam and worked with some Dutch filmmakers, uh, Wim Wenders and sorry Wim Verstappen and Pimpola Para uh, Scorpio films. Uh, they, they were very hot then, and they, and they needed Charlie because they wanted to make films in English. Um, so that was that kind of buzz around as well. And um, sorry, I just quite lost the thread there. What what was the where were we? Where were no, we that's all right. We were talking about uh, the actors and and how you had you had the script oh, yeah. and that's and, right. Oh, mm -hmm. So the script was there and it was pretty kind of bulletproof. I, it wasn't something uh, that I, you know, but I wasn't one of these guys who liked to workshop and find this thing, you know, like uh, Mike I'm, Lee. Yeah, I, I more or less just wanted the the actors to say the words the way I wanted to hear them. <laughs> um, and that, and that in its own way was an education for someone who hadn't worked with actors before, because it made me realise what what actors needed, you know, uh, and what they don't want. You know, they don't want maybe just two basic things that I come away with one night on my bicycle, and that is, you don't touch the props, you if you know you don't move the props. That they're the actors, <laughs> they're under the actor's ownership, and you. you Try to tell them what you want without saying it aloud. 
the way you want it set. So that that's the wonderful, that's a process that's just endless. Um, so that helped you when it came to working down the road with professionals who had been at it for decades too? Yes, because these two rules are just, that's all you need really, as far as, as, far as I can see. And it worked with the kids. Uh, it took a while. Uh, I remember uh, that Rab Buchanan in particular, I was trying to say something to him about, you know, about seeing what we wanted. And um, after, after I had spoke, spoken myself out, he said, well, hey, um, I don't know what you said, Bill, but I know what you mean. <laughs> so that, so that, that was that. <laughs> uh, that was on that sinking feeling he said that to you? Yes. yes. And so we should probably remind everyone that uh, Robert Buchanan plays uh, Gregory's friend who wants to go to Caracas in Gregory's Girl. Um, and so, and in terms of the casting, then Buchanan really has the lead in that sinking feeling. And uh, Gordon Sinclair only has a couple of scenes in that yes. singing. And yes. their roles were kind of reversed in Gregory's Girl. Gordon got Gregory and, and Buchanan has a smaller part. Yeah. Was, it, was that I, easy I, casting, fitting them into specific roles? I tell you, it was, yeah. Um, because I think in that sinking feeling, I think Rab was playing me, really, because he was the guy out of control. You know, I was in the situation with all these kind of creative and, and energetic kids uh, and I just had this a few ideas in my head, and they were, you know, I had to wrangle them into, you know, help me deliver them. And so as I think it, it, it wasn't conscious, but looking back on it, I think I was, you know, Rob was uh, playing my part in that singing feeling. <laughs> uh, and I and I do remember when we were shooting it. Um, I'd say at that point, yes, the uh, Gordon Sinclair was one of the gang and things, but he wasn't. It, and he was always a very kind of, uh, he was, a, you know, he had a very energetic personality, but he, he hadn't kind of, you know, registered to me as an actor, uh, you know, in, in the way that he, he did at this moment, because we were shooting the scenes where the kids, uh, they had started the heist and they, and they all were piling out of the, uh, the van, you know. And Gordon, we had him dressed in like kind of Spider-Man or something. He was in black and kind of black tights and black top and things. And he came out, he jumped out of the van and he took took this posture, you know, like Batman or something. And everybody laughed. And I remember turning to Mick Cole to the cameraman saying, I think we've got, well, I think we've got our Gregory. Ah. And that was, it was, in, it was instantaneous. But I hadn't noticed it before. He actually gave me it on a plate, you know, uh, what was that quality? Awkwardness, or just someone willing to be funny, and then and then their physicalness. Funny bones, yes. That that the thing that comedians talk about. If you've got you got to have the funny bones, you know. And he's just instinctive. Uh, yeah. He's got instinctive energy, instinctive timing. You know, all, all of these things. Yeah, and it's also there's also a quality of the moment he tries to be funny or do something funny. He there's a little. A uh, wisp of of uh, regret uh, about it, yes. or or awkwardness, or oh, you know, and then he and then it becomes a kind of vicious circle, and he uh, just keeps doing yeah. it to to cover up, at, at least as Gregory, but certainly in his scenes in that sinking feeling as well. Um, how much time oh, elapsed? Oh, please go ahead. No, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking now. In reflection: uh, there was that energy behind all, the whole of that sinking feeling. That 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 energy was just there on with everyone, uh, and it wasn't easy. Cause, I mean, as I said, the, some of these kids, had, you know, were you know, quite disrupted lives, and uh, people like Gordy. Gordy was a trainee electrician at the time and had to get time off work. And the the the, the biggest problem was always wrangling them, you know, to to the shoot. And I had my helpers. We had a minibus. We, we, had, we had a mini a minibus that the uh, rental company had given us a loan of. Uh, and uh, I remember she used to have to drive around, you know, for about two or three hours before we we, the, we called on set just to make sure all these people were going to be there. Uh, and that was a continual thing, you know. Even if you even if you said just okay, we'll do another scene, and you guys relax, they would just scatter, you know. <laughs> And then we'd have to go around the pubs and kind of find them again. Um, so the energy was just there all the time, you know. And it was, and we got that energy. That's why uh, 
suppose uh, I suppose the film's got that energy too because we were really on the hoof. We were on the streets. And... Is it a comic energy, or is it is it is it something even more specific or or more general? I suppose a specific maybe you could say it was a Glasgow energy. Uh, ah. Glasgow was the kind of town that was on the ropes in those days. Uh, it was a very a heavy industrial city, and you, well, you can see it even in the in the visuals. I mean, when I watched the film recently, I thought, God Almighty, that's like a fucking a war torn Berlin or something. <laughs> with the, with the way it looked, uh, and it, it was hard to kind of conceive of having lived in the city when it was like that and not not have noticed, you know. Uh, but it was on its knees, uh, post-industrial capital of Europe, I think we called it in, in those days. Um, and that was, just, that was just part of the look and the feel of it. But that sure. Was yeah, certainly in the visuals, you see, you see the city and, and what it's like. But when you talk about the actors having that Glasgow energy is it is it something like uh, a bit of nothing to lose and desperation to yeah, to absolutely. please and to entertain? Yeah, it's just it's this kind of gallows humor in a way, uh, sub humor of the survival. You know, it's it's the, the kind of humor you get on a lifeboat and you know next to an iceberg. It's that kind of stuff. You know. Sure. Well, I was thinking the other. Actually, I was reviewing the notes that I wrote, the kind of overview of the series we did in Rochester, and I and I I I felt like I was unnecessarily defensive in my first couple paragraphs in describing your films as comedies, but not the kind of, you know, guffaw a second comedies. And maybe maybe they aren't guffaw a second, but both films, Sinking Feeling and Gregory's Girl. Are, are, are consistently funny. There's always some kind of funny business going on. Now, sometimes maybe it's about, you know, um, something serious like, uh, you know, not not uh, not being able to fit in, or uh, or even having, you know, thoughts of of drowning yourself in your bowl of cornflakes. But everything has that kind of twist to it that is is consistently. Uh, amusing and funny there's 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 tons of jokes and i and and i guess is that something that came natural to you or were you conscious of always trying to find something funny to do in in any given scene or moment i i think it was just it was just the pitch that was there uh and well i don't know if in the city it's it, maybe i'm not saying the whole city was going around wisecracking about what a mess it was in but it was certainly part of the of what was in the air then. Maybe I was aware of it more because I had been, as I say, spent ten years, you know, making these sponsored movies about the city and the roads, you know, the the new roads and the new bridges and all this, all, all the op optimistic stuff. And but still, the city was on its knees. Um, so it's just a gallows humour, that kind of thing. It's still, it's it's very Glasgow. It's very Glasgow. Um, it's, just, it's always there. Well, then you have the, your, your own kind of natural instincts as a storyteller and the actor's instincts as storytellers and entertainers. Um, then I guess my next question is about improvisation and, and the actors. I know you're, you're famous for you know, wanting to get everything done, on, on, get it into the script, but to what extent in Gregory's Girl... Uh, were uh, the actors adding to the uh, moment-to-momentness uh, of of the scenes and the story? Uh, I, I would say not a lot, but if we had probably kind of thrashed it out by then, um, it may be it may be an insecurity of mine, but I'd, but I'd, and I know a lot of filmmakers who are different, but but I don't like kind of take you know filming things on the wing. Maybe, maybe I'm a control freak. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, so I wouldn't just say, okay, let's do one for Christmas. You know, let's let's everyone go, everyone everyone go wild this take and give me something new. I, I wouldn't ever say that or want to say that. So by the time the camera is running, maybe it was also like an economic thing because we we're always short of film as well. You know, so I wanted to know what what it was what I was going to get before I got it. Um, so no, I wasn't that kind of filmmaker, and it, and it um, it kind of confounded me why some some 
filmmakers would be quite happy with that, just kind of getting a bunch of people in front of the camera and, and running the camera. I couldn't see what happens. Oh God, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with that. No. Well, you really value the the writing process. I think is it. Would you say it's still your favorite part of of filmmaking? It is when it's when it works and when something works. Yeah, it's well, yeah. It's not it's not the be all and end all. All it is, but it's the it's the beginning of of the hope. You know. So if you if you find something that that kind of works on the page that you can feel good about, you can only feel more and more optimistic the more you the closer you get to kind of recording it and nailing it. I wonder what you think of this suggestion that I've, because I think that here hearing you say that and that it, it was really about sticking to the script and having the actors stick to the script that but there's a but there's a real uh energy and life force that comes from your movies and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that uh you get a sense as we're watching it that uh, it's not all mapped out in your head at least not when you're writing it that it, that things really take um take turns uh that that are unexpected constantly i was just thinking again about how uh, and it happens to me every time when i sit down to watch gregory's girl that soccer football is is just a kind of excuse to get uh, 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 D. Hepburn and Gordon Sinclair together uh, to begin with. There's, you know, I think a lot of um, if you watch a lot of movies and comedies, especially youth comedies, you'd think that it was going to go to the place where, you know, uh, I'm sorry, what was what's uh, uh, D. Hepburn's character's name again? The girl, uh, hey, Dorothy. Dorothy. Dorothy is. Uh, you know, you think you're going to see her, um, you know, uh, the, the movie's going to be about her, the triumph of her athletic ah. abilities and that there's ah. going to be some kind of big game at the end. But really, the movie kind of drops football, uh, you know, about halfway through the film. Yeah. Funnily enough, I just remembered the, 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 the pure inspiration for it. And this goes back a year or so, even before I went to the youth theatre. And that was when Charlie Gormley and I were... The, the part, partners in the little documentary company, we were both itching to do something else. And uh, as I say, he was going back and forth to Holland and, and starting to work on real movies as a scriptwriter. And so we'd been together maybe as a, as that, that kind of team for maybe eight or nine years by then. Uh, and so we could hear the creaks. You know, we both wanted to go, we were both wanting to kind of do other, well, not. It would have been great if we could have done things together, but it turned out we both wanted to do the same thing. Um, so I was kind of very quietly looking around for things in my head and thinking to myself, well, what, what would I, what would I do if I kind of wanted, you know, had a movie to make? And one Saturday, I was in a, might even have been in a Woolworths. I was in a store, and I picked up a book uh, called uh, Maggie Cassidy. Um, um, what's his name? The uh, the beat writer. Oh, by Neil um, Cassidy. Kerouac, Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac. Yeah. Uh, Jack Kerouac wrote it. It was called Mikey, Mikey Cassidy. The book was called Mikey Cassidy. And it was about his uh, he and uh, Neil Cassidy, and they had a love triangle, I guess, right? Well, no, it was a it was a high school it was a high school novel. Wow, I don't know the book. Yeah. Um. Neil Cassidy, he, uh, in the in the story, he, it was narrated by by the younger the guy, the boy, who was a track and and uh, football star at school, and Maggie Maggie Cassidy was uh, was the, the love, you know. So it was a, it's just a little love novel, a high school love novel, and I um, took it home and read it, and then I, that's when the seed of the the idea of uh, you know a, a school set thing a high school set thing with a little sport and that's where it came from and then of course i subverted it from that moment on by having the girl you know switching things around but that was the initial inspiration and i thought i suppose one of the thoughts i had well that would be cheap kids would be cheaper you know it'd be, it'd be, you could make a cheap movie with kids um 
and also they wouldn't uh, they would be easier maybe this, this is probably very wrong kind of perception I had at that time maybe be easier to control maybe they would uh, you know be making it be without enough so in, in, in many different ways it just seemed like the right scale of things to do after that little piece of inspiration from uh, Mikey oh, and that, yeah that's the way it stuck you know I just stuck with that and and uh, then I guess uh, in terms of the other literary influences I didn't know that about the Kerouac book uh, when you think of the film, are there any other uh, cinematic or literary lifts that you uh, that you can think of for specific scenes? Um. Oh, I wanted to ask you if if uh, Madeline Gregory's little sister uh, it was inspired at all by Holden Caulfield's sister in uh, in Catcher in the Rye. Yes, I, I remember you asked that. I in. I can't swear to it. I can't swear whether I just stole it without, without you know, uh, recognizing it. Uh, or whether I should just arose, but I think I think it probably did come from that source, whether it was conscious or unconscious. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I should. It, it, there's also a wise little girl in one scene of that sinking feeling too, who kind of seems to be a. That's right. Yeah. I suppose it's a thing. It's it's one of these teenage things that the girls always seem to to have kind of be a, a year or two ahead of guys. You know, they're they're cooler, they're more in control. So I think that was the basic motif that it was just to once again it's it's, it's the the old trick in the book is try and turn everything on its head a little bit. You know, girl on the football team, girls being smarter, kid sister being smarter than you, giving you advice and all that. So it's just. It's just the uh, the template that you run with, you right. know. And and then once you're alert to that, then you can submit, you you can use it, you know. If if you're filming a little transitional scene, because your brain's full of all that stuff, you think, oh well, wait a minute, well let's turn it on its head a bit, you know. So it's always there. It's always it's always accessible if you're in the groove, as it were. Yeah. Uh, and I know you're a. You're a big Nabokov fan. Have you ever thought about uh, his influence uh, on your work? Anything specific uh, from from his canon that has made its way into your films? I, I think it's probably, uh, if it's anything, it's just a kind of attitude. It's an attitudinal thing. It's just a stance. You know, that kind of wry, you know, informed stance. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have the nerve to to tackle anything, you know, and try and make it Nabokovian, or, you know. <laughs> sure. But, but you can just kind of lean on lean on the, his spirit for a little bit and, and get something. But, uh, oh, that's wonderful. Catch something on the fly. Sure. Um, so I, I guess... I've got, to, I've got to... So Nabokov's sublime, and, and I was just... When, uh, this, this afternoon, I was just wondering... I, I was re referring to that in your notes and thinking, what could you say about Nabokov? And there's a tiny, tiny little passage in uh, Lolita where uh, he's talking about his own childhood uh, in the south of France, and 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 he's using it as an excuse for 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 his condition. You know that that he had this the love of his life when he was 12 with this girl and she died of tb i think uh and he was talking i think he was talking about her mother who had died in tragic circumstances and then in parenthesis it just said picnic lightning <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end uh, of the, the anecdote you know yeah, that kind of shorthanded uh, reference to uh, tragedy is, uh, yes. uh, or something dark or, or, or even melancholic is something that uh, I guess, can, I guess can, that, that's, the, that's the spirit you've been able to wrangle. I think yes, you can, you can rub that and get a little, you're not, you're not denying it. You're not, and you're kind of confronting it, but you're trying to do something human with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well taking it out of the literary realm, 
I'm, I, I guess I wanted to know about making Gregory's Girl a, a work of cinema. Now you've, you've you said you've you know you've already been working almost a decade and a half in documentary films, industrial films, commissioned films, and and so now when you start to move into narrative cinema, and I'm thinking I'd like to know specifically about Gregory's Girl here. If what are the things you're doing at either the script writing stage or the or the shooting stage to make things more uh, cinematic as opposed to just filming actors or filming a play or or making something on a smaller scale like like for television or an, an industrial type documentary that you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's something to do with esprit. It's something to do with spirit again. It's something to do with just um, a kind of attitude to things. Um, and I'm thinking back when Charlie and I, were, we knew when, in, in the time that we made these films together, he he was a... Charlie used to call himself second-generation movies because his mother used to be an usherette in a cinema, you know. Uh, as it turned out, one of his sons turned into a kind of mega, mega uh, operator in, in Hollywood now. He's uh, he's uh, first AD on all the Star Wars movies. Oh wow! Uh, so so he he's proper third generation now. But anyway, Charlie was the real between he and I, he was the real kind of enthusiast for, you know, for, you know, straight down studio cinema, Hollywood cinema. Um, and at one point, when we were talking over the years about going to do stuff, he said, well, look, Bill, you've got to, we've got to watch the stuff. You've got to know the stuff. Uh, and this is even pre-videotape. You won't believe this. This is what this is what he recommended we do, and we did it. We were blessed with at that time. You know, TV was maybe a decade or more old, but the thing that TV needed always is product, 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 product. So we benefited from that in the, in the 60s and 70s in, in the UK anyway, because the every week you would there would be maybe four or five or six old Hollywood movies on somewhere on TV, you know? And he said, what you do is you get a, you get a cassette player, little sound cassette players, you know, and you record the dialogue, you record the movie, the soundtrack. Uh, and that's how we learn timing, that's how we learn the, you know, esprit and everything. We just, so that's what we did. We, uh, I've, I've still got little cassettes of, you know, Solomon's Travels and it's sound only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I remember, of course, there was no use at all in terms of technically working out how to write a gag or timing or anything. But it was <laughs> this esprit thing. It just gave us, it gave us, you know, you know, something, uh, morale or something. Well, and, you would. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, I, I'm just remembering one of them was we, we don't ever try and record a, a Marx Brothers movie this way because <laughs> yeah, I, I, what I did was. I set, it must have been one of the early ones, I set the machine up and then had the cassette recorder near me and then when I played it back, all I could hear was me laughing. <laughs> and you, you heard the March Brothers away in the distance, I couldn't hear a line of dialogue. <laughs> so that there's uh, dialogue and getting getting the spirit of the dialogue, but then there's also sound design too. Now on that sinking feeling, there's a lot of uh, noticeable and fun um, sound effects that are, are are clearly added in the mix later. I think. Were there any was there any special approach to sound design on on Gregory's Girl? It seems a seems a step back from uh, from uh, uh, that sinking feeling. But maybe it's just I just don't notice it because it, the budget was bigger and they're a little more polished. Uh, what you do. I think sound. that's probably it. Yeah, because he, even even crew wise, I think on Gregory's Girl we had a. We had a sound editor, you know, who, who I hadn't heard of before, and, and so you have someone who's actually in control of the sound, and so uh, like like everyone in their own branch of filmmaking, they're, they're aiming for perfection. So if we we were short of a little sound, a little squeaky shoe or something, he would go and find one, uh, and so you end up maybe getting too much perfection, you know, things get ironed out, things get get smoothed out, but. Um, I can't think of I can't think of uh, any other way that it, it certainly was more polished. Yeah, um, 
But as I say, that you can you can that can be detrimental or whatever, uh, and you just have to make a few movies before you feel really in control of all of that and say, well, look, I don't want all I don't want all that polish. Take that take the polish away today or something. Sure. Well, we're, talking about sound design, then it's probably a good moment to talk about the fact that the Gregory's Girl has two, at least for English speaking markets, which is strange, uh, two separate soundtracks. Uh, we're we're showing the original film uh, as you as you recorded it and 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 the Good. all the actors original voices this week but Good. for the american release they they dubbed it over with i think with completely different actors or or some of the they, same cast they were. yeah there were some of them were scottish actors but once again they were they were trained actors they were young you know young actors but they had gone through the, the drama college you know thing uh so and it was a it just it had to happen because the, the original uh sound it was a sorry i forgot the guy's name who took it from america was well, sam Samuel goldwin sam goldwin yeah yeah and so what he yeah he he um he he had already picked up greggy's girl and, and uh are we talking about greggy's girl yeah 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 that's but but Greg, but Greg, so Gregory's girl had had been redubbed for to make it easier on the ears, I guess, of, or easier to understand for American ears. Americans, yeah. Uh huh. And, yeah. and then, and then uh, after the success of Gregory's girl led to Local Hero, and Local Hero was a huge success in the U.S. Ah, then yeah. they re, then they did the same thing to that sinking feeling and re-released that. That's right. Or, yeah. Released it for the first time in the U.S., but with the same thing with. With a with a with a with an easier to understand yes by by somebody's estimation an easier yeah. to understand uh, soundtrack but you weren't involved with 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 either of those I, I was I had to sit there and listen oh. to it I didn't I didn't have I mean I, I I knew I knew what the process was and I knew what the the reason for it and I knew what the outcome would be would be something that I didn't take to but I figured uh, America was so far away at, at that point that that um. You know, it wasn't going to it wasn't going to hurt me for too long. Uh, I, I do remember it, it worked because I remember when Sam Goldman uh, Jr. and his wife um, they came to, to to the final. We we had that final screening of a the the new soundtrack one Friday night when we just finished the dubbing theater. He was in London, and um, I remember we were sitting there. Was just there was just three or four of us in the in the viewing theater, and I remember at one point. Uh, it, it must have really worked because the, the new soundtrack. Because he leaned over his to to his wife and says, "Hey, that's his little sister." <laughs> I thought, "Oh, maybe he didn't know that before." <laughs> so I thought, "Oh well, this soundtrack's working good." <laughs> he he he'd already seen the film, but now he realised. Yeah, sisters. This is even better. <laughs> Well then, uh, talking about the sound design, and then I want to—I have one question about the, about the visuals in the film, uh, which is this wonderful camera movement towards the very end, where Susan and Gregory are laying down in the park, and 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 there's this tilt for them. Uh, there's there's nothing like it really in that sinking feeling, unless of course you count the slide of the credits, but. Uh, uh -huh. It's it's and there's nothing really else like it in in Gregory's Girl too. I, I wonder about if you could talk about the inspiration for that moment and and uh, what what you were hoping would be achieved uh, visually at that moment. Well, it was it was it was inspiration of the moment, and um, it was all to do with the, the planets and the sun and all that because it it was the night of midsummer, and you were talking earlier about. Um, uh, the nights in Scotland, we talked about the, the 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 summer glow and all that. Well, we were very very close to that. We were shooting this in pretty pretty near midsummer in Scotland, and we were lucky. It was a very wet year we had, but the, but luckily when we did the scenes in the park, um, it was a beautiful beautiful night, uh, and it was quite magical because we we filmed until maybe you know half past ten or something, so that was all real. But what it did was um, when we were filming on filming them under the trees and I think we had run through the dialogue and 
they're talking about gravity and space and all of that. And Mick Coulter was had lined up a shot, and um, I sudden I, I was looking through the camera and I, and I said to myself or eventually to him, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could if we could reinforce his, you know the idea that they're having of themselves, you know, as kind of spacemen, if we could just tilt tilt the world, you know, just to show that they they're stuck to the world, you know, uh, the gravity really works. And I said something to Mick along these. I said, "Wouldn't it be great if we had, if we had a head, a, a tripod head that could do that?" And he says, "Well, you know, that's easy." And he turned the camera to ninety degrees on the head, which made it tilt sideways. And I, I thought that was a miracle. I was like, "Wow!" I thought we were going to have to process a shot or something. So it just came. It came there and then. Um, and I thought he was a genius to to. Work that out that you know that you just had to turn the turn the camera, you know, on a different axis to the tripod head, and you can make the shot go anywhere you want, and that's what we did, yeah. And Coulter was your cinematographer on that sinking feeling, and then for your I think your next six or so movies too. Uh, yeah, a, after um, there was one point uh, after. Uh, Gregory's go when the budgets were getting bigger and all of that and although although Mick was having a name you know uh, I think it was Putnam actually that said no we need uh, we need someone with more because it was a bigger budget and involved a studio and things for local so, hero yes that's right so what I did was I went to Mick and I said okay who 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 would you want to work with you can you'll be operating but who who do you want to be hanging out with as a cinematographer rather than me picking someone, you know. And he said Chris Mangus, and that was it. That's why we had Chris. Yeah, I was just thinking about, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Konchalovsky film Shy People that Mangus shot. No. Uh, late late that. 80s with uh, Barbara Hershey and Jill Clayburgh. It's on the set in the Louisiana Bayou. Ah, uh, right. I'm that. Strange uh, canon film but it, it has this amazing uh, opening shot that hovers over the street in new york and kind of uh, ultimately settles in the living room of the of two of the main characters and kind of places them in this almost existential universe uh, mm. and and connects them to the you know to the world at large and that when and hearing you describe the shot in gregory's girl r reminds me that for the first time reminds me that 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 moment connects them to uh mac and local hero staring out at the of course yeah borealis on the beach there and right and, yeah. you know, char character you know finding himself connected to the to the much much bigger picture i guess uh-huh yeah yeah and also it's it it's it's like a metaphor that they're coming together that it's like it's like a metaphor for the rightness and wrongness wrongness of a relationship because suddenly, I mean, when he's with when when uh, Gregory's with Dorothy, it's awkward and they're not communicating, and then suddenly he's with you know Miss Wright, and they're sharing a world, they're sharing fantasies, you know, you know, just on a whim. So I suppose it does that as well. It's a wonderful moment. Um, so I guess just for the last question, do you have any memories of the American release other than after the after the dubbing stage? What do you remember about uh, how it, Gregory's Girl was received here uh, when it first came out? I guess it was 1982 is when it hit hit the U.S. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I was, I don't remember making a visit. I, th I don't think we had enough of a budget to take me over there. I can't remember. But you were um, probably already making Local Hero, too, I would imagine. Well, maybe was... that might have been the reason that if I got there at all, yeah, because maybe we were casting that or something. But I have. I don't have too many memories of the, of uh, what happened to the movie in America. Well, um, then I, I, I guess I'm curious then how... Uh how it, Gregory's Girl's success led to uh, Local Hero, which, you know, had American studio backing. 
I guess does that does that have everything to do with your producer on that film, David Putnam? Probably yes, and I don't think I don't think I don't I don't think Warner's were out of pocket too much because uh, Goldcrest actually I think financed it. I think Warner's just picked it up for America, ah. so it was it was a, a reasonably easy ride for for Warner's. I think they they, right. they weren't they weren't financing it, you know. And they were probably impressed enough by the success of Gregory's Girl. Yeah, uh, and of course US. Putnam had, had made the uh, Chariot Safari by then. He'd made them a fortune. You know, right. a couple of years before. So, so I think I think that you know we were on an easy ticket there. Claire Grogan on the UK Blu-ray of Gregory's Girl talks that uh, Gregory's Girl was originally released, at least in in England, as a uh, as the kind of second half of a double bill with Chariots of Fire that it played that they played together. Do you remember that at all? I don't remember that. That must have been kind of second, second time around because they were they were separated by you know a few years at least. So maybe that was some kind of uh, you know retrospective outing. Maybe a few years later. I don't remember that at the time at all. Yeah, but because you were you had already been working with Putnam, he he was aware of you when you had finished that sinking feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we did meet. He was at the end of at the end of that thing. I had a little list of things that I had to do to, for myself, and one of them was meet Putnam. Yeah, <laughs> um, because he was so hot. He was so hot at that time, uh, and I think it was Colin Young who ran the film school, my mentor again, uh, that finally put me in touch with him. Because Colin was with all kind of committees and things, he was, you know, he was a bit of a, a force in, in in the land in those days. Um, so I remember uh, I finally had organised with Putnam to show him that sinking feeling. And um, what I did was he he said uh, he, he had booked a viewing theatre in Soho, in London, for a Saturday morning, and. Um, so I got on an overnight bus with with the, with the sixteen mil print of the film. Uh, I took it down, showed it to him. He had his wife and kid with him. Then he took me to lunch, and then I got the bus home on, on the Saturday afternoon. Um, but I kind of knew that something, you know, that, that things were changing. Then, you know, I, rem- I remember actually on the Sunday. I, I was uh, with some of the, the young people that were doing a uh, a play at a, a theatre in Cumbernauld, and I had gone out to see it. And I remember when I when I saw them, uh, they said, "How did it go in London?" I said, "We're through the wall." That's no, great. Yeah, it was just it was as simple as that, really. Yeah. In those days. <laughs> I, I probably should ask you about. Gregory's Two Girls, I guess people listening to this probably don't know that you made a sequel to Gregory's Girl mm-hmm. uh, because it was never given an American release. I think it showed at a few festivals, but uh-huh. uh, that's about it. And and it finds Gregory uh, almost 20 years later, I guess. And uh, he's... Uh, Kind of faced with a similar situation, I guess. Uh, can you can you talk about uh, what you wanted to show in that film? I suppose maybe that was me at my most uh, Nabokovian. I suppose <laughs> it, it had it, it had kind of undertones or overtones of Lolita in some way, and it was about a man in a situation that he shouldn't ever have been in, um, trying to deal with it and trying to get out of it. Uh, so, and it was a caper. So I think it was to me. It was to my mind. It was a comedy, but maybe it was a kind of a kind of um, out of uh, out of tune comedy. I don't. Maybe it was too out of tune. <laughs> um, I, I think it works as a comedy. But uh, what's up, what's really interesting is how it, in many ways, it's kind of the same film in that Gregory is somebody who. Uh, says says one thing thinks he knows what he wants is pursuing one thing and then uh reluctantly starts down a path towards something else uh in this case it's kind of um 
he he's a he's a he's a teacher and he's tr encouraging his students uh to be more uh, politically engaged and active and when they and when they do become more politically engaged and active they it kind of um uh it 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 affects some of his personal relationships with other people and uh he kind uh -huh. of reluctantly uh en encourages them but uh it takes him down a path he he doesn't expect and and finds that um, sometimes the unexpected path is it turns out to be the better one or the one the one worth taking in some uh, cases. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was maybe just too 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 much to handle from people, possibly from me, because people expect something a little uh, more straightforward, you know, uh, mm. in terms of you know its ambitions, you know. I suppose my films wear, normally wear their ambitions on their sleeve and you either, you know, you invest in them or you don't, you know. Uh, so maybe that just had more twists and turns in it than normal. You think maybe that's why it didn't, uh, it didn't get a, an American release? I think so, yeah. I think it's just a wee bit too, too ambiguous, too, you know, too ambiguous to handle, really. Hmm. It didn't. It didn't play at all well uh, uh, in the UK either, as far as I remember. Mm. Well, I know you're 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 keeping up with the writing. Is it anything aimed towards uh, making another film, or uh, is it is it uh, is it a different kind of writing that you're doing? It's a different world now. It's an entirely different world. I don't think someone like me could ever could even kind of uh, speculate about being able to. Put a film together nowadays. It's just the whole, the whole, the whole thing has changed. The whole genre has changed. The whole spirit of it has changed. Uh, interestingly, for people like me, I think well, you can't call it TV anymore anymore. But the whole kind of electronic, you know, way of seeing things has opened up, uh, you know, other chances. Uh, and I suppose, like like a lot of filmmakers of my generation. I'm in I'm in this situation where you know I've got I've got a couple of things out there, and there's one thing that I wrote as a you know as a proper script, and then the first thing that people say to you, can you turn it into you know six half hours, <laughs> uh, and then you 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 kick and scream about it, and they say don't worry if somebody wants to watch it they can they'll sit there and watch it anyway because they're all available. Um, and that kind of keeps you happy for you know a month or two, and then you think, no, I don't quite like that either. So it's that kind of situation. But you either you either want to do it enough or not. But that's that's the situation I'm in with at least two things at the moment. That um, there are people who want to do it, but they want to do it in that kind of genre. And then the other thing is they want another sex after that. And the kind of characters that I create aren't characters that have an afterlife because they're actually living in the air you know they're, they're not they're not on the ground to start with so the idea that they just can perpetuate themselves in other you know episodes it's uh, it goes against the grain i think a lot with me so it's a, it's a tough one it's a tough one sure i mean it's they're they're if you if you think in terms of stories with a beginning and a middle and an end then it's then it's a whole other world i mean it's there you're you're asked to not only just stretch things out and possibly even add characters and 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 then have a kind of a inconclusive ending or at least open-ended enough so that they can get more yeah. episodes out of it or more life out of it it's mm. yeah it's a tricky one it's a tricky one yeah i i I suppose I still prefer uh, things with a beginning, a middle, say, and end. I would say, well, that's it. But it's it's got to me with the stage, with, with, to the stage where I, I've either got to okay, bite the bullet and do something like that, or just kind of retire gracefully to the wings, you know. Um, and there's still enough of me that just wants to kind of go out there and do it again, you know. So sure. So it's still a battle. It's still. Um, I'm not saying it's my call, but you know. Even just to get involved in what it would, what the implications would be. I mean, I've taken a script and I've turned it into six episodes. So I've, I've got that far, um, and it's reasonably painless on the page. But uh, 
I don't know. Well, you know, you just have to adopt and adapt. Well, it's uh, wonderful to be able to talk with you and to hear what you're up to and uh, and talk with you about Gregory's Girl. I want to thank you for the film. And Bill Forsyth, thank you for talking with us. Thanks for being there, both of you. It's great. It's been good to talk. Yeah, it's been real nice catching up with you this week. I hope we keep in touch and... and uh, Maybe maybe when uh, people start coming out of their houses again, we can figure out a way to get you back to Madison and hang out with us for a little bit. We'd love it. That would be terrific. That would be terrific.